Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey, everyone. As we get deeper into 2022, it is time for all of us to do our part, to save democracy, and to show that America can and will stay on that arc of bending history towards justice. I want you to go to jointheunion.us and sign up to help our grassroots efforts. Fill out the survey. Tell us where it is you want to help. We'll put you in touch with the people who can put you to work. Jointheunion.us. Do your part. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by fellow co-founder, author of Everything Trump Touches Dies, and host of LPTV's The Breakdown, the one, the only, Rick Wilson. Hey, Reed, it's strange to be in the same room with you. It is, but it's great to see you, <laughs> and welcome back. Thanks, brother. So before we get started, you and I are here in beautiful, sunny California. We are. We've been up and down the state this week and all over the country recently, so it's it's nice to be out in the amongst the people. We've had a great trip out here, folks. We've met with some amazing people, and the energy for this election seems really different and high. No, I think you're right, and I think that's the thing I have noticed since November of last year, December, even January. There was a lot of, I don't know, I don't know if this is going to go the right way, you know, maybe it doesn't matter. But now it certainly seems like the president's leadership on Ukraine in particular, I think it's the first time in a long time, maybe in years, that Americans seem united by something. You know, you would have thought on one level that COVID would have brought America together and we would have said, this is a terrible disease. We have to face this. We have to deal with this. We have to all come together and make shared sacrifice all the things that Americans have traditionally done in times of terrible crisis. But that turned into a political circus. And I think the fact that America is completely united, completely in support of the Ukrainian people and of Vladimir Zelensky, and they have said flat out no to authoritarianism. And violence. And the number of Americans who are overtly or quietly pro Putin is pretty small. But interestingly enough, it's pretty loud. But it is being smashed and overcome by the fact that America is on the side of the Ukrainian people. And as you said yesterday to somebody, we were talking to somebody, and you said, you can see Tucker Cross, he's just squirming, trying to find a way out of this hole. Well, something that Stuart Stevens, one of our senior advisors, has said. He was speaking specifically about Trump's ability to take over the Republican Party, but I think it applies also to Trump during COVID, which is leadership matters. If Trump had been a normal human being and had united and rallied the country to the cause, as you talked about during COVID, we probably wouldn't have 975,000 dead Americans. That's right. You know, would there have been economic? Yes, all that stuff would have happened in some regard, but I don't think it would have been the schism down the middle of the American people like it was, which frankly Trump wanted. I think the 180 degree difference between Joe Biden was he said before Ukraine, we will be there. And Rick, as you've heard me say, I feel this in my bones, which is Europe 
Eastern Europe, the world looked back to America to see what we were going to do. And Joe Biden said, we're here and we're not going anywhere. And I think that that alone invigorated people. I think that there was a lot of latent cold warriors out there who, you know, for 30 years hadn't really thought much about Russia. And now they remember, oh, this is why they were the evil empire. And now Joe Biden is not the next coming of Donald Trump, but Joe Biden is the next coming of Reagan or Kennedy or Ike or Truman. That's exactly right. And, you know, Vladimir Putin is the Russian Federation president, but he is a Soviet in his heart. And so when we see this invasion, Europe looked in the rearview mirror and said, what's America going to do? Biden said two things that were vitally important. Right off the bat, there wasn't any equivocation. There wasn't any do me a favor first. There was, we're standing with the people of Ukraine. And the second thing he said that I think was enormously important was when Biden said, and we will defend every inch of NATO territory under Article 5. Donald Trump wouldn't know Article 5 if it bit him on his fat orange ass. But that is the sacred core of the NATO agreement. It's only been invoked one time since the formation of NATO, and that was after 9-11, when Europe came to our aid in Afghanistan and beyond. And because of that leadership on Biden's part, I think it's one of those doing well while doing good things. And he has seen his numbers go up. And now I've seen three separate survey results where his handling of COVID has gone up. In part, I think that's because it's tapering down. His handling of foreign affairs has gone up and his overall approval rating has gone up. Now, this is where I have to tell our Democratic friends, give them a little 101 pointer. If Joe Biden was a Republican, every single Republican in America would be screaming at the top of their lungs. He's the greatest president since Ronald Reagan. They would be shouting it to the heavens every day. They would be all in, all on board, because they know it would have a beneficial political effect to supporting the president. It'd have a beneficial political effect in the 2022 election cycle. And it would have a beneficial effect that it would scare the shit out of Vladimir Putin that this guy's got the people behind him. Well, and it's one thing to say if you're, you know, Democratic establishment, it's going to be a tough year to win because Biden's numbers are down. But when numbers pop, which you claim you need to win, then you don't help sustain. <laughs> right. You got to get on the train there, people. You got to push the balloon up. And I think it's important because this doom and gloom that the Democrats kept echoing came from two sort of wellsprings. A little bit of it came from some cranky progressives who didn't get everything they wanted with Bill Beck better and whatnot. But a lot of it was coming from the Republicans. They were just telling Democrats all the time, get down in the ditch. You're going to lose. We're going to win. And it's you defeat an army by telling the army it can't win. Why are the Ukrainians winning? In part, it's because they're telling the Russians, you can't win. We're going to kill all of you. I mean, if you're a Russian tanker and you're sitting there having a smoke and a cup of coffee and you turn around and a guy on his John Deere has just made off with your vehicle, <laughs> like that cannot inspire confidence in yourself, certainly, or the side you're fighting for because your rig just got run off. Right. There's no sound the Russians fear more in, uh, in Ukraine than the sound of a tractor. That's right, than an inline eight tractor. <laughs> but I want to talk a little bit more about the president because we see that, you know, this is one of those things too, Rick, where I think he had to make some decisions on the economic front. And again, I think it is testament to his leadership and to the world that Europe is as united as it's been. I mean, when the Swiss get behind the sanctions, I think that's really something too. And I think the other part, is that Biden and the world have laid out that in this fight between the Russians and the Ukrainians, between Putin and Zelensky, there is an objective good and there is an objective bad. And there is a sense that among the faction of Americans who are white Christian nationalists, 
that Vladimir Putin is the savior of Western Christianity. You know, you saw that clip of Bannon saying, there's no LGBTQ in Russia. And Eric Prince responding, oh, they know which bathroom. There's only two bathrooms in Russia. And that is something they love about Putin. It's a reminder, or it should be, to Americans that the vision that Steve Bannon, who is sort of the intellectual architect of all the white nat stuff underneath Trumpism, Steve Bannon and these guys, they think what Putin is doing is great. They love it because he's the strong man. He's the man on the horse. He's the tough leader. And they fetishize that stuff. Well, and you see also, you know, he's co-opted the Russian Orthodox Church to his side. Absolutely. You know, that obviously during the Soviet times, the church was heavily repressed. And it was, a, by definition, an atheistic society. Right. Now it is a white Christian nationalist mm-hmm. leadership. I don't want to call it a society. But also, I think that they have so gotten themselves down that rabbit hole that now we see Republicans, you know, Carlson is one because he said, I'm rooting for Putin and Putin is shelling hospitals. Two days ago, I think Greg Gutfeld said, you know, the media is just portraying this to induce sympathy for the Ukrainian people. And the Fox guy like on the ground said, Greg, that is not the case. These people are being bombed and shelled and are dying. The Fox bubble, just like the Putin bubble, can't survive reality. And look, Putin has built a suicide box for himself. This is not going to end like he thinks it's going to end. The world has put them on lockdown. Their economy is going to collapse into the Middle Ages if he's not gone. You know, we are really good at being the arsenal of democracy. And, you know, shout out to Raytheon. They're sending javelins and weapons over there at an amazing pace. And the U.S. government is facilitating all these transfers of stingers and javelins and in-laws and everything else. And to loop back on this, Americans love seeing an unequivocal good versus evil fight. And look, I'm 58 years old. I was a young Cold Warrior coming up, right, before I got into politics. And I got to say, and this is one thing that American liberals never, they were never comfortable saying, the Soviet Union was unequivocally evil. They repressed people in ways that are grotesque. 20 million people went through the gulag system. Before he died, Stalin was about to deport a million Jews, and if he couldn't deport them, he was going to kill them. This is not a system that ever needed any defending. And if you see an American political or media figure defending or even not on board with supporting the Ukrainian people, you know everything you need to know about them. So I want to talk about this because, too, Rick, what you're seeing is Republicans, some who have always been insane, some who have been fellow travelers, some who have been bystanders, are all trying to scramble around to get on the right side of history. You know, they wear the Ukrainian flag lapel pin or they stand with Ukraine on Twitter. But in the same breath, you know, if but for Biden's weakness, this never would have happened. You know, gas prices are going to go up because of him, because he didn't let us drill. And that's the other thing, too, is, Rick, I'm always fascinated that all of this somehow on the Republican side, I guess I'm not fascinated, but I am interested. It always comes back to defense of oil companies. (laughs) <laughs> Which let me just say, those poor, poor oil companies struggling to make a dime. But it's like if you have to go get gas, nobody's like, "Ooh, I love that Chevron gas." Right. Ooh, oh, I got to have that Chevron. I mean, yeah, Michelle, gas. that's my gas. Yeah, right. right that's my gas. <laughs> you know, maybe if it was 1952 and your dad ran the service station, but nowadays it's a means to an end. But it is interesting because the American oil regime somehow needs defense against you know all the evil that's coming for it is always a fascinating thing. But again, I think it goes back to. The idea that when the opportunity comes, Republicans, at least in the time of Trump, 
maybe even beyond that, are siding with the bad guys. We see this in 2020 during the election. You know, Trump asked the Saudis not to pump. You know, I think we have a pretty good sense that there are other conversations going on with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. We've been told Jared is trying to convince bin Salman to keep Saudi production tight in order to help Trump for 2024 and help the Republicans for 2022. And this also Reed, goes back to why are Republicans doing this? First off, there was a big polling briefing by a big major Washington polling firm a couple of days after the invasion that scared the crap out of them in Congress and in the Senate. It scared the hell out of them because there was no way even the ones that are Putin curious or Putin friendly were going to be able to convince the American people that this was working. Just like COVID, they saw it with their own eyes. They experienced it. They're seeing this invasion as a brutal, illegal, and rampant cruelty of Putin. But they're also nervous about a couple things. Remember, every one of those Republican senators, every goddamn one of them, with the exception of Mitt Romney, voted to exonerate Donald Trump from impeachment after he was impeached for trying to intimidate and extort Vladimir Zelensky and Ukraine into putting together a fake investigation of Joe Biden so that Trump could win the 2020 election. I mean, this is something that they would love to memory hole. We choose not to let the memory hole it. The second part of this is these guys all recognize that Donald Trump's actions in Ukraine, his delay of the shipment of military hardware is a weak spot for them. That's why they're saying Biden's weak. He's not doing enough. And the stuff that Trump held up and attempted to sell our support, that was, by the way, congressionally mandated. It wasn't like Donald Trump got an option to do it. Yeah. I mean, just to that point, to get a little nerdy for you, the money had been appropriated. Correct. Trump had signed it. And to get really nerdy, he had refused to allow the Office of Management and Budget right. to actually release the funds. That's the kind of thing that Donald Trump would never, ever, 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 ever in a jillion years know how to do himself. I want to know who actually pulled that trigger. I'm going to guess it was Meadows, who was smart enough internally briefed Trailer enough. Park Mark. Yeah, Trailer Park Mark. Internally briefed enough to do that. But that's a story they don't want to tell. They want to be now because the polling tells them they want to be on the side of the heroic Ukrainian people. I think that the broader overlay of what you're talking about is the idea that they don't believe in any of this stuff. And maybe they don't even care. Why are they scrambling to get on the right side of the war? Because it's good for them politically, not because they care, not because they even want to, because they know there's an inherent disconnect between being on the side of Zelensky and democracy and Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson, lots of Russian money. God knows who's already been paid what. And so it just further shows that they have no core about anything. They have preferences for authoritarianism, but they don't have a core of beliefs anymore. It's not free markets or individual liberty or strong national defense or strong alliances around the world that protect America. They want what they want as preferences and emotional things. They want the authoritarian stuff. They want to be able to execute on their will as Putin does, you know. A lot of these bills you see this week in Florida, you know, the election police bill, the anti-LGBT bill, the 15-week abortion ban with the snitch thing, just like in Texas, Putin would look at those and go, yeah, I get you. I feel you, bro. He would understand those. They can't go quite as far as he does yet, but what you're seeing is they keep taking all these shortcuts. They keep saying, we're going to take the law out of the question and put it in the hands of our people when it comes to elections or anything else. And I think that there's a cultural similarity to Putinism and today's iteration of the Republican Party. Right. But I mean, this is where I think that Republicans electorally have a problem, which is 
here in California talking to an old friend of mine over the weekend, very conservative, pretty sure he voted for Trump in 16 because he could never have voted for Clinton. Pretty sure he probably voted for 20 because he got caught up like so many Republicans did in all of the other stuff. But his question to me is, is the Russia thing finally going to rid us of Trump? As Fox is on in the background, that's the question he's asking me. That's a good point. And you and I met with some people the other day. and One of those guys was like, I don't know Republicans who are like that. I hate Trump, but I'm not a communist. Uh, those aren't the only two choices, <laughs> right. brother. <laughs> it's, um, think of it more as 31 flavors. Right? Right. Like, it's not vanilla um, and chocolate. But it's harder, I think, for some Republicans, especially the kind of Republicans that fall into what we call the Bannon line of our Republican voters who can still be moved. It's not a big number, as we know, but it's a number. They don't like seeing this. They have a vestigial concern about the Soviet slash Putinist slash Russian style of these things. Because for 40 years, 50 years, they understood it was a battle between the American system and the Soviet system. And a lot of these Russian soldiers who are being captured now, a lot of Russians who are slowly learning what's going on, they were like, we never heard anything about a war with Ukraine. We're invading Ukraine? No, we're on a training exercise. And when the training exercise thing fell apart, they shifted it to, it's Nazis. It's Nazis. We have to take out the Nazis. And now, this is kind of terrifying, Lavrov is out saying, we're trying to take out the U.S.-Ukrainian biochemical weapon labs run by Dr. Fauci. I mean, this is very similar to the bubble that most Republicans in America live in. They watch Fox. They are on Facebook groups, you know, patriotic patriots for Palin, you know, all that crap. And they are living in that bubble all the time. And it's hard for them to escape that cognitive prison that they're in. And so I think it speaks to this is one of the things that shocks people so much. It's so in their face. You can't deny it. And it's made Republicans very nervous. Well, and so, Rick, that's the thing. So let's just do some very, very rough back of the envelope math. So we think there's somewhere maybe six to 10 percent of, you know, let's call it regular Republican voters. When I mean regular is probably going to show up who are like, I want nothing to do with this Republican Party and I'll probably stay home. Then you've got, you know, the bulk of them, you know, who are like, I'm a Republican when a Republican's on the ballot, I vote. But now do you think there's like another five or six percent who, to your point, are like, I'm not in on Russia. I'm not in on Russia. Okay, so now you've got this, you know, let's call it 10 to 15 percent of sort of waiver. Then look at a couple of other stats that, again, don't match up perfectly. You know, there's been this polls that 60 percent of self-identified Republicans say the 2020 election was stolen. All right, that's scary. But it also means 40 percent know it's crazy. So now you've got some more wafflers in there someplace. And then the last thing is, you know, on the gas hike piece. There was a Quinnipiac poll that said 77% of Americans, they agreed with it. That means a lot of Republicans agreed with it. And then you add to that the true crazies who are true nihilists. They're not Republicans. They're not conservatives. They're anti-liberals. This is a very unstable coalition. Increasingly unstable, Reid. I think that's a very good point. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of our, as you said, the sort of back of the envelope math. And traditionally, the Bannon line was 3 to 8%. You know, we're thinking now it's more like 7 to 11 percent. And that's not a gigantic increase, but in a lot of these close elections, it can make a difference. And it gives us at the Lincoln Project an additional portfolio of messages. And it gives us an additional portfolio of attack vectors to split off with our wedging strategy to wedge out from that Republican mass groups of people 
Because look, in 2020, a lot of what we were able to do was move suburban Republican women voters and independent male voters and higher income Republican voters out of the Trump coalition. They didn't like it aesthetically, culturally, or in the example it set for their kids. But now we may have another group that's addressable of national security type Republicans who recognize that, let's remember, Donald Trump's number one foreign policy goal was to destroy NATO. He wanted us to get out of NATO. And John Bolton has confirmed it, that Trump wanted us to leave NATO in the second term. And these Republicans who make this pathetic, ridiculous, Biden's weak, that's why Putin invaded, oh, bullshit. Putin was waiting because a second Trump term, he could have killed off NATO without firing a shot. Right. You know, the reality is Putin is not as strong as he wants everybody to think. He's isolated. He's crazy. My theory of the case right now, folks, is that Vladimir Putin is in a bunker somewhere. The oligarchs, the 150 or so wealthiest Russians, I suspect they're all negotiating amongst themselves as to who's going to have him killed and who's going to take over. Because unfortunately, I don't think it'll be Navalny. You'll have to have a Yeltsin interstitial character, just as Yeltsin had to come in the middle. I don't think you'll have an immediate like Western-centric liberal reformer in Russia. But look, I think America is watching this war closely. I think they do understand it is part of a global challenge of autocracy and violence versus democracy and liberty. Well, and I mean, Zelensky said something to that effect, and I'm going to paraphrase here. America, you're not as far from us as you think. Right. I mean, folks, when you consider that as a tool, political violence runs in a spectrum from intimidation to war, and Vladimir Putin is using the top end of the spectrum right now. But you know what? January 6th might have been a lot lower on the spectrum. But as you've said before, Reed, the only reason those Republicans didn't come out immediately and lose their minds about January 6th was they were waiting to see how it turned out. Because if somehow or another, in a weird, bloody alternate history, if the crowd had killed Pelosi or killed Mitt Romney, or if they'd taken senators hostage, they would have delayed the count. And those Republicans, I promise you, these weak, soft men, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and Cruz, the softest of the soft, the softest of the soft, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man of softness. Joey. He's like a walking ED ad. <laughs> but, you know, Tom Cotton and frankly, a lot of the institutional good guy Republicans, you know, you would have maybe had Romney say something about it. But other than that, they would have all said, well, you know, the presidents may have a point. We got to look into this. And it would have delayed the certification. And I think that's what we're seeing now, too, with Ukraine, which is if Putin had rolled over Ukraine in three days, like everybody assumed he would. Oh, I promise you that all those Republicans would suddenly be foreign policy realists and say, well, there's nothing we can do about it short of nuclear war. Maybe NATO's outmoded. Right. Maybe it's a different world order. Trump would have been crowing about the strategic genius of Vladimir Putin. Tucker, you know, would have bathed himself in white, blue and red, and it would be a different world. But as you know, you start a war. Nobody knows how it's going to turn out. Correct. And look, what have we seen here? What's the best case scenario of this? The Russian military has broken its own back. They are getting slaughtered wholesale. They've lost a third of their most advanced armor of their tanks. Putin is now less of a threat to Europe than he's been in a long time. We may end up with a free democratic Ukraine that retakes everything the Russians have snatched as a member of the EU and NATO, and the containment of Russia will almost be complete. You know, 
the definition of democracy is not that you get everything you want. Right. The definition of democracy is that everybody has a choice about what they believe freely, fairly, openly, without risk of sanction by the government. Or murder. Or murder or whatever. And that you have the opportunity to argue about it. Democracy is not saying I get everything I want all the time because that's not reality. The communists were going to say, you know, each according to his means, each according to his ends or whatever, right? Like it's horseshit. Like there's no perfect system. Democracy is imperfect too, as Churchill said, less bad than the rest of them though. And so I think that's what you're seeing. I think also with, you know, as I mentioned that Quinnipiac poll, I think there's also, you know, maybe after two years of lockdowns and death and sickness and just this hangover of all of this stuff. This is worrisome because you're right. Like a guy like Putin backed into a corner. God knows what he does, but it's had this unifying effect that like, oh, wait, America is a good guy. America is a good partner on the world stage. And does that translate Rick into a little bit of like, we know this is hard. You know, we know gas prices are going to go up. We know this stuff. But like, this is the cost of democracy. Democracy isn't free. You know, America has rallied to freedom a lot in the long history of this country. And two examples, World War One and World War Two, where there were a lot of Americans. We don't have any skin in this game. Why are we doing this? But at the end, when you wait and pretend that you can hide behind an ocean or a wall or trade barriers or any of these other illusory things. We live in a world that is big and complicated and ugly and messy and intimately connected and more so every day. And watching President Biden take on the role of commander in chief in the tradition, as you said, of Truman and Eisenhower and Kennedy and Reagan and George H.W. Bush, these people who faced off against Russia and faced off against the Soviet Union, they understood we are imperfect and we don't have to be perfect to do the right thing. I say this a lot to my Democratic friends who are like, but this country was founded on that. I'm like, you can love something that's imperfect, and you should. There's a constancy to the power of American right and optimism that I think, I think we're sort of seeing a little bit of that right now, and the best kind of national pride. Right. Patriotism. And let me just say this. I think that what you're talking about, too, is that authoritarian movements ask nothing of you but everything. They want you to acquiesce. If your neighbor spies on you, you say that's part of the deal. If your brother gets hauled off and disappears, you know, you can be upset. But the deal is you don't say anything because do you want to get hauled off? And it is total and complete acquiescence. And there can be no middle ground with it because it wants it all. You know, there is no like just the temp authoritarianism. These people want it all. They want control of your life, your mind, your will, your body, everything. And, you know, Putin has a death list already. We're hearing that. They're already talking about internment of the leadership of the Ukrainian government. You know, that is a slope that is always leading in one direction. We've seen it in Nazi Germany and in Cambodia and in the Soviet Union and across Africa in Venezuela. And as Americans, the fact that Joe Biden is standing up against that, rallying America and the world, I just think he's had a commander in chief moment. And I think it may really change the game. No, I think that's right. And, and as I like to say, Rick, I think that Joe Biden is a man who met his moment twice in two years yeah. when the vast majority of the rest of the Democratic field got behind him in 2020 as the person they believed could beat Donald Trump. And he did in an unprecedented year. And now, again, when his moment met him, he was there for it. You know, 
Most people don't get one chance. He got right. twice. You get the 3 a.m. phone call. He actually answered it, got out of bed, and went to work. Right. He didn't take a bite of his cold Big Mac and right. turn and say, Fox back on. And say, what's Tucker think? <laughs> All right, Rick. Well, before I let you get out of here and get back into that beautiful Golden State air, where can everybody find you on social media? I am on Twitter at the Rick Wilson. And I am on Instagram at the Rick Wilson, and those are my social medias. All right, and everybody, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen. Rick, want to thank you again for joining me, and guys, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.